When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Is episodes once a week not enough for you? Or are you looking for more technical information from the Mixing Music Podcast? Well, guess what? Now you can. You can subscribe to our exclusive content and triple the amount of episodes that you get access to. That's right. Instead of the free once a week episodes, you get Three episodes a week for only $4 a month or $40 a year. Go to mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash exclusive to get access to those episodes now. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me as always, actually, Lou is not here today. So a little surprise, surprise to anybody listening right now. We have a special guest on today's episode. My lovely co-host and the host of the exclusive episodes of the Mixing Music Podcast. He's been on the show a number of times now on the flagship episodes. And uh, you hear his voice if you listen to the exclusive episodes or have listened to the exclusive archives, which we're releasing again. Uh, the man, definitely not a myth, but he is a legend. Braden Flint from Flint Mastering. How you doing, Braden? Doing well. Super happy to be here. Excited to be on the on the main channel, not hidden behind the paywall. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We finally get your name out here for the public to hear. And I think you took some notes before doing this episode. Yes. Uh, and because you're significantly better organized than the rest of the hosts on this program. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what do you want to talk about today? Uh, well, after sitting in silence, staring at each other for a couple minutes, t- trying to think of a topic, uh, something I thought would be fun to talk about is what I have learned from watching hundreds of hours of mixing and mastering content on YouTube. So for those of you that don't listen to the exclusive subscriber episodes, um, I basically go through YouTube and find clips that DK and I listen to and then talk about. So some of the clips are controversial. Some of them are really good. Some of them are really stupid. Um, and then I just like to pick DK's brain about what these people have to say. And like, it's, it's a ton of fun because some of the, some of the clips are ridiculous. And I pick that, I pick ridiculous stuff on purpose sometimes, but also there's a lot of really, really good, helpful advice. And the more that I'm talking, the more that this is starting to feel like a plug for the exclusive episodes because it should be right for for four (laughs) dollars a month or forty dollars a year you can get access to like literally two exclusive episodes every single week it's fantastic and we you do a great job we do a great job and honestly there's a side of me that comes out on the exclusive episodes i feel like that doesn't come out on the main episodes it's i don't know because i feel like i'm protected from the masses i get like really (laughs) The innermost, darkest parts of DK come out, and we have a good time. It's true. It's true. Um, but yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I so not try, not necessarily trying to plug. I'm just telling you what we do, so you know what I'm talking about on this episode. But I have literally watched at this point, which I'm sure maybe everybody has. But I've watched like 
hundreds of hours of mixing and mastering content from channels like Mix with the Masters. Um, who else is there? George T. Music. He's a smaller one, but we love him. He's our boy. I, I love taking clips from his videos. Yeah, we take uh, we like, like interviews from Grammy winning, award winning, you know, gold and platinum plaque winning engineers, producers. We've done mastering engineers as well. Have we done a songwriter yet? Uh, maybe one time. I think we yeah, did. Yeah, like, maybe one time. But, but anyway, we do twice a week. We like basically uh, curate these interviews. And then on top of that, we we comment on the curated interviews. So it's actually some of the most insightful um, talks that we could talk about. And you do have this strange amount of experiment experience where we not only listen to tons of content, but then you have a pro, in this case, me. <laughs> Can I self-title myself? There you go. A pro uh, that breaks it down and tells you exactly why Dave Pensado said that and why it works, or exactly why this other YouTube said something and why it doesn't work in a lot of cases. And you've kind of actually had multiple uh, points of view on each topic. And so I think you have specific knowledge and insight about information that is available on the web and about YouTube University, specifically with mixing, mastering, music production. And so let me ask you, Brayden, uh, what are some of the, the top most important things that you, what is this list that you made? Is it, is it top best things or is it what you've noticed about YouTube University? What, what is it? Yeah, it's just what I've learned. So like some of these things are good. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are not good. <laughs> Okay, let's let's hear it. <laughs> so for now, I've got a list of five, but I'm sure we'll find more as I as I continue talking. Uh, but the number one thing that I have noticed, I have and I have a playlist of content. It's called my content curation playlist. It's hundreds of videos long. I've watched all of them, and some of them are, you know, they're like one minute YouTube clips. Some are thirty minute long interviews. Like there is, and I hate to break it to everybody. But there is no secret sauce. There is no one thing that makes your mix perfect. There's no one trick that solves everything. There's no one anything that's going to take your mix from trash to gold or like instantly improve everything. Like from watching these pro mixers, from watching amateur mixers, from watching everyone, yeah, from amateur to pro, everyone uses the same plugins. Everyone uses the same techniques and tools. So it's about how you are going to use those tools and those plugins, uh, how you're going to use that in your own creative way to make a mix kind of not not necessarily your own in a sense, but make it sound like you while helping the artists achieve their vision. So like never once have I watched uh well, that's not true. I've I've seen plugins before that I've never seen before, but never once have I watched somebody and been like, Oh my gosh, like now that I know that Bob Clearmountain uses the Apogee plugins, like I have to use those because it's gonna make my mixes better. Like it it's there there's been nothing like that. It's always how these professional mixers use the tools that they have to get the sound that they're looking for. It's not the tool itself. Because at the end of the day, like they're all old school. They came up on SSL consoles, they all use like channel strip plugins, they all use the LA2A, they all use the 1176, like they all use the same stuff. It's just how they're using it to achieve their vision. That's that's the first thing I've noticed. So so that's interesting because we've all heard the meme, just use your ears, bro, right? 
Like that's like people make fun of that all the time, especially with the the younger generation that has no idea what's going on. They're like, "What does it mean You're trying to use my ears?" Right? But I think let's break it down. I'm going to break down exactly what you just said. Every pro uses the same tools and the same techniques. Then what is the difference? The difference is the decisions you make based on what you hear. The difference between and to be fair, it's probably more than that because Dave Fensado who is uh, very old in age, is actually has, like, <laughs> physically speaking, probably has worse ears than the generation that's coming up right now. Well, it's 50 years younger than him, right? He can hear only half the frequencies that the younger cats can, yet how is he still mixing fantastic hits when he can barely walk, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's because it really is what you decide to do with the tools and the techniques that you have, not the techniques and the tools itself. And people get this confused there. I know um, I always am willing to challenge someone on this. I think my mixes sound fantastic and I'm willing to challenge anyone that I can make my mixes sound just as good without the use of third party plugins. I can use stock boring ass avid pro tools, stock plugins, or even Logics or Studio Ones, it doesn't matter. And I will make just as good of a mix with with those plugins as I can with my third-party plugins. And then on top of that, the reason why probably mine will sound better than this fictitious uh, opponent in this case, right, is the reason is just the hours and the amount of time we've put into making music. People continue to negate the importance and the value of time Literally, like you can know how the scales work, understand the scales on a piano, but then being able to play them fluently in any scenario is a totally different, different skill. And that can only come from practice. Computer is like an instrument. You have to put in the time to practice. You have to be putting in the hours. And that's when your ears do become important. The ears are the difference at the end of the day because anybody can boost low end. It's specifically how much low end you like that can change a mix and that can make it sound like your mix that can please a client. And it's through pleasing thousands of clients over the years that you start to develop your own sound within the boundaries of acceptable because you're going to continue in your career. You're going to continue to push boundaries and do too much low end and some enough an amount of people are going to be like, that's too much low end where you're going to start to recognize, okay, maybe that's a little bit too much. And you're going to start to be able to see where the boundaries are and be able to use your ears to make a mix that you deem the best. My mixes sound the best to me and that's how it should be. Like I think in, in the world, I prefer my mixes. My mixes sound the cleanest. And every time I reference some other professional's mix, even if they have Grammys more than I do, I still prefer mine. And that's okay. And honestly, that's a little bit of how it should be because they're my ears and it's my taste. So you should be in the same uh, same boat. True. Big time facts. And actually, so I wrote down a fourth one, but I just, I realize now that I'm saying this with number one, so I'm just going to lump them together really quickly. I wrote down, famous engineers don't focus on their tools very much. Like, they don't talk about their plugins a lot. They're not like, oh, and I, like, some of them will say, I love this plugin, but they don't, like, go in depth in it. Like, one I can think of is Leslie Brathwaite always talks about, uh, what is it, the voice of God, that little, like, one knob UAD plugin. Like, every video I've ever watched of him, he's like, oh, I love this plugin. And like, that's where it ends. You know, it's not like 
like I said, they don't focus on their plugins. They focus on bringing the vision of the artist to life using the tools that they like to use. And so. I, I love that example because the voice of God is literally just a high pass filter with a resonant bump. That's all it is. And there's in the plugin version, the UAD version, which he loves, there's no harmonic saturation going on. Zero. <laughs> Zero harmonic saturation. It is literally the same thing as a FabFilter Pro EQ with a high pass filter with a resonant bump. That's all it is. And here we so you got to ask the question. It's not about um it's not about what tools he uses. You got to ask why. And I can tell you exactly why he likes that plugin. It's because what it does with the low end of 808s and kicks and things of that nature, the low end where it kind of tightens it up, but it makes it feel bigger on the bottom. Because it is a high-pass filter, it tightens it up, but because it's kind of resonating, it also kind of fattens it up. True. So so the why is significantly more important. There, There is an exception to this rule. Every time I see, and this is where we need to be careful, because if I right now am asked to speak on Mix with the Masters, and give my secrets to this mix that I did or mixes that I've done in my career. If I was in the same position and shoes as Tony Maserati, where I know an audience is coming to hear, to hear how I did my mixes and how, why my mixes are so great. There's a, a lot of immense pressure to create a reason for why my mixes are so good. Mm. So, when a guest at Mix with the Masters talks about how the sound of their mix came from the Fairchild, the original vintage Fairchild that they have, it's actually not. But there's a lot of pressure to say that it is. Does that make sense? Yeah. So that's another thing to keep in mind, too, because there are a lot of pros out there that say they do, but that's also a marketing ploy in itself. Marketing either from the company. Think about where the information is coming from. So if it's from Mix with the Masters, where their entire revenue stream comes from the, the proprietariness of, their, of the information that they're propri- the providing, of course, they're going to try. Their, it's in their best interest to tell you that they have secrets. That's uh, Literally, their income is based off of it. <laughs> Yeah. But when you hear Tony Maserati on his own, in his own video, then he'll tell you the truth, which is he has a Fairchild, but most of the time when he prints it, he just uses the UAD version because printing through a Fairchild is actually annoying to upkeep and to bias, continue to fix and calibrate. And on top of that, his assistant doesn't have the actual Fairchild unit and only has the UAD plugin, so might as well just use the plugin. And that's what he says. But on stage, he's like, yeah, I use the, the Fairchild. And he doesn't admit to what's actually true. It's it's not in the best interest of the company to do so. Um, and when we put an immense amount of pressure on people telling their secrets, they will tell you a secret. And uh, that secret is oftentimes not actually true. So be careful where, like, the reasoning of why people are providing the information, like, what is motivating them to tell you that? Because if it really was a secret, they wouldn't have told you. So there's there's definitely some sort of intrinsic, like, motivation. Like, why am I telling you this right now? Am I selling a course? Am I trying to give you my mixes? <laughs> you know, sell you my mixes? Yeah. I think that's it. I think I'm really trying to sell you on this exclusive content, honestly. <laughs> that's, what I'm, that's what I'm fucking trying to do. Uh, where, um, yeah, we break down. And I will honestly tell you when people are saying, like, this is a secret. Like, you have a lot of clips there. It's like, this is the secret. And I'd be like, that's fucking retarded. And, and that's, <laughs> that's how the episodes are. 
Yeah, I mean, I I will even tell you if you come listen to the exclusive episodes, there is no secret. <laughs> it's an intro, five minutes of banter, and then we break down the clip. Like, there's there's no secret. And I I also wanted to add to DK, like, please be very wary of people trying to sell you a secret online. Uh, I know this. this oh, is you like have a, personal uh, experience. I I have. I you have, have spent how much money? How much money? Um, Trying I'd to rather, chase a secret? <laughs> I'd rather not say, but it's uh, it's not a small was sum it a of thousands money. <laughs> or was it hundreds? <laughs> I'm not gonna say. Okay, but here's but what I'll say: it was significant. It was significant what, amount of money chasing secrets. There was one thing that I had to I had to fight people to get a not fight people like physically, but fight them <laughs> communicating wise to get refunds because they promised stuff that they could not deliver on. And there's other other a lot of courses that will tell you like. Oh, this is the secret to, to. In my case, it was this is the secret to mastering. You know, this is the secret to this. This is the secret to that. And to be clear, like doing some of these courses, like it gets the ball rolling at least a little bit. Like there is some some value to them. Uh, but there there were definitely there have been things I've paid for in addition to watching YouTube content that it's like. There is no secret sauce. This was a scam. So please just be very careful of people trying to sell you a a secret to getting good at mixing because there's no secret to anything in life. The secret is consistent work over a long period of time. <laughs> Actually, there's a quote from James Clear that he posted um, on his email newsletter that I'm looking up right now that I think is a fantastic, fantastic fantastic quote. It's a fantastic quote that kind of exemplifies what we're talking about right here. James Clear, the author of Atomic Habits, which you should read. If there is a secret to anything, then the secret is reading books. That is that is honestly one of the secrets. Like if you're if you're intelligent enough and willing to put in the effort enough to listen to this stupid ass podcast where two young young buckaroos are just shouting nonsense, then um <laughs> Uh, you should take the time and make the slight more effort of reading a book. And yeah, reading is tough. Like nobody, well, I'm not going to say that. Very few people in this world enjoys reading self-help books, but that is one of the secrets. Not only is the act of reading and the act of doing something that takes a lot of focus great for uh, rehabilitation of your focus, but it's also fantastic for your learning. Reading books, business books and self-help books in general is second best to an actual real life mentor because the difference between a podcast and books is that books have been edited for thousands of hours and the content in it is so uh so uh what is it what is the word um so perfectly curated to and edited to be exactly like the saturated most amount of saturated information you could possibly get it is so fantastic. Anyway, Atomic Habits, James Clear, read that book. Anyway, James Clear says, sometimes all you need for exceptional results is average effort repeated for an above average amount of time. Now, here's the thing. The reason why I think the Mixed Music Podcast is so well, first off, the effort that we put into these episodes, I'd say it's about average or maybe a little bit more. I don't know. Definitely below average on like the short form content. Like we're not posting reels and stuff as much. <laughs> Oops. Uh, but we've been doing this for years and we do it consistently. Every single Tuesday morning at 3 a.m. Uh, Pacific time or 6 a.m. Eastern time. Consistently every single Tuesday morning. We've done doing this for almost uh, coming up on four years. 
So three, four years. There's this is the difference. That's the difference. The reason why the influencer on Instagram and TikTok is doing so well isn't because they're posting crazy content. Eventually, they get to the point where they're able to invest more money and time into the content that they're making because they're actually making money from it. But at the beginning stages, it's literally just consistency. So once again, the quote is, sometimes all you need for exceptional results is an average effort repeated at for an above average amount of time. If you keep doing mixes, I, I said this recently, uh, I did a new Instagram short where I'm like, this has been one minute with daddy D. I saw the, that. The one really minute daddy, one minute tips with daddy D. And I said, um, how big is your portfolio? If your portfolio, maybe a couple dozen songs, maybe a few dozen songs, maybe even you've got a bigger one and you have a few hundred songs. That's congratulations. That's amazing. But how are you able to actually compete with a mixer that does a few hundred songs a year? Like you can't compete. If you have a 300 songs total, which I assume most people in their first three years don't even have, first five years, I can bet, the, to get to the first 300 songs is probably going to be closer to five plus years unless you're just hustling. Like in 2020, I did 1,019 songs in a single fucking year. <laughs> and you're competing with me, motherfucker. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you cannot, like... It, you you got to really put in, do not negate the value of time and experience. And people are like, why am I not getting so good? They're like, bro, the reason why use your ears is not good advice for you is because you haven't spent the time using your fucking ears. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going on a rant. Next one. Next point. Next point. Okay. Number two, people are obsessed with compression. Let's get over it, everyone. Move on. We know how it works. You don't need to watch another YouTube video about compression, okay? We know how the attack works. We know how the release works. Like, if you know that, then from there, it's just a matter of trying different compressors and figuring out which one you like. I have a good friend, Todd Peterson. Shout out to Todd out in Nashville. He showed me something that he did when he was, like, learning uh, compression. And if you're not learning compression, you might not be so much in this boat. But what he did is he took like a, he would take a track and he would put all of his compressor plugins on that track, put them all to relatively similar settings or, or try to get them the same and then click through the different plugins, turning them on and off to see how the different compressors specifically altered the sound he was working on. And that's how he got good at compression. That's how he got good at understanding what it sounded like. And I, I'm pretty sure he did that with more plugins than just compressors, which you can do as well. Um, but like, this is another thing for me. I Like the whole time I was in college and even after graduating, I was like, oh, like I can't hear compression, which means I don't understand it. Like I don't, I don't get how it works. And it's like, trust me, you know how it works. It's easier than you think it is. It's just a matter of, really like cranking a compressor on something to try and hear how it sounds. And trust me, I have been there with you. It's even still a struggle sometimes now. Hearing compression is tricky, in my opinion. It can be difficult, but I promise you searching YouTube for more videos on how to use compression, how to hear compression, compression, like it. it's probably not gonna help you because I've watched all of them and I still and working on my compression game. So that's thing number two. People are just obsessed with compression, and I can't, I don't understand why. <laughs> well, that's interesting. I do think compressors are exciting. And there's a reason why I asked my buddy, um, Eddie, who works at Kive Audio, a uh, plug-in company, 
And I said, what are your best selling plugins? Like statistically speaking, he says, compressors always sell the best. More than EQs, more than anything else, compressors always sell the best. That's, that's because compressors are exciting. And there's so many different types and they all do different things. And they all sound different. Both dynamically smoothness attack and release options, both in VCA versus tube. So they actually change tone as well. They're very exciting. But I will say that it's also funny every time I hear, oh man, sometimes, <laughs> usually not the most experienced, but even some, some people that are a little bit more experienced, they'll say the song is sounding, more, is sounding too compressed or this bass track is sounding too compressed. And these cats who have a decent amount of experience, I will not uncompress less the bass. I will just, let's say, roll off the low end or something like that. Like do an EQ move and they'll be like, yes, it feels a lot more dynamic and it feels less compressed. And I'm sitting here going, I did not touch a compressor. There's been times <laughs> where like, they're like, can you stop compressing this track? And I'm like, I literally did not even compress the track. It's not even saturated. <laughs> and so people are like just wildly confused. I feel in, on general, even those that are more experienced of what compression actually does. And ex I think that you should listen to your, you and Todd's advice. People should do that. Um, take the time to bypass and to actually intentionally listen for a difference. The first difference you should listen for is dynamics. Like dynamics as in volume. And you can hear pumping if it's bad attack and release combination on a specific source. Um, just go extreme. Again, what, what was the advice? Like do is extreme saturation. Yeah, you use like extreme compression. Like put all the compressor Sorry, plugins on one compression. thing and then crank them to the max and then listen to the difference between each one. Because that's, that's like how I learned to hear compression was cranking them to the max. Because if you only do like one or two dB, especially in my case where I'm doing mastering most of the time and it's not a ton of compression, it can be difficult to hear. Like, I, and I think that there are a lot of people, like DK has said before, like a lot of older engineers or a lot of people that kind of like to do this I don't really like using this phrase, but like kind of like a dick measuring competition for lack of a better term where it's like, oh man, like listen to that half a DB compression on the vocal, you know, I'm like maybe they can hear it, but like, no, they can't. I, I don't know. It no, just, no, 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 they're bullshit I, artists. I, I just think that too many people are like worried about compression and thinking about like, how can I get better at it? How can I learn more about it? When at the end of the day, it's like, I think rather than try to learn more about compression, you just need to use more compression and now, see how ha half a dB of gain reduction. They can't hear the compression. They're probably hearing the saturation, <laughs> but they can't hear the compression. I guarantee you. In fact, if you can hear the compression from half a dB of gain reduction, that's a f that sucks. That compressor sucks. <laughs> or those settings are not working. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like the point of a compressor is to not be able to hear the compressor to, to a certain degree. So, um, I mean, unless you're it, trying to get that slamming sound. But you still but, don't want to hear, like, you want to get it to slam. You don't want to hear it pumping and compressing. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I think saying? that's something important to remember is, like, when you're compressing something, you're just trying to level it out. You're not trying to hear it necessarily. And, I mean, so, sometimes maybe you are. Maybe it's an effect you're going for, you know, parallel compression and things like that where you really squash something can be a cool effect. Yeah, like when I smash the crap out of the drums with a double VCA rubber band comp from Mixland. Exactly. But, like... You know, so I think, I don't know, like I said, I just think people get a little too obsessed with it and worry about it too much when, like, there's, like, so much going on in a mix. Like, 
if you do one less db of compression somewhere it's probably it's not going to blow up your whole mix you know like yeah i i do think that there you should have a wide variety of compressors and the reason why Lo I like agree. logic stock compressor has a wide variety of compressors because the saturation going through a tube circuit versus a vca circuit versus a fet 1176 style circuit versus an opto la2a style circuit they it sounds different like the saturation sounds different and the default attack and release times or even the like the the how much you're able to control the t the attack and release variables like that is going to be uh, very dependent on the plugin and whatever it's emulating. True. Now that being said, like just like you said, even when I use like a VCA bus comp on my master bus, so I have I have a stereo VCA SSL style bus comp, an analog one that I use. Now I, when I use it, what I do to figure out the attack and release times is I crank it, get at least eight to twelve dBs of gain reduction as much as I can based on the headroom that I have at the end of a mix. And then I adjust the attack and release times from this hyper squash state. And when I can no longer hear it, or if I can hear it but in a pleasing way, then I take it back down and do the bare minimum of maybe a dB or two. Sometimes, even on the mix bus, sometimes I'll go as much as like four dBs of gain reduction on certain high points. But uh, the point is, I'm doing it on purpose. So now I know that it sounds good through the extreme compression, then I'll dial it back and put in an actual reasonable threshold and a reasonable gain reduction. This is a common technique for using like SSL compressors, VCA compressors. So even the pros do this often. They do extreme compression just to hear it, to make sure that they're in the right attack and release settings. It's difficult for everyone to hear compression, but at the end of the day, the more time, I will say that I'm, I'm like hypersensitive to compression. I can't tell if it's because of my ears or if it's my speakers, probably a combination of both. Um, and also dynamics and saturation. I'm telling you right now, if you have like sub $1,000, this is, this is not any, like I'm not, I want to be careful how I say this. It's not a flex. If you, if you have cheap speakers, then your speakers aren't able to produce. Um, they're not clean enough. Typically, they won't be clean enough to hear huge amounts of distortion and be able to produce super clean, fast transients that um, to hear the super minute details of compression anyway. So why bother? Try, like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just do your best and learn over time. Um, and yeah, compression compression is just a tool. And oftentimes you're not even supposed to hear it. Facts. That's true. All right. Moving on to number three. And this is this is something that I see every now and again, but I think is really important and something to at least consider for yourself. Uh, some of these pro mixers that I've watched, there is a little bit of a theme that runs between them of not looking at a screen while you're mixing like not having a screen right in front of your face while you're making adjustments, uh, whether that's for you know, audio reasons like reflections in the room, be it being between your speakers, stuff like that, or whether it's just an aesthetic thing. There are a couple mix engineers that I've watched that talk about the importance of not staring at a computer while you're mixing something. So I'm pretty sure, I think it's Michael Brower, but he literally, like, he has his console, right? And if you don't have a console, it's okay, that doesn't matter. He moves his monitor to the right of him so that while he's mixing, he's not like looking at it. Well, I guess you do have to have a console to do that, but he moves his monitor to the right. And then there's another mix computer engineer. Computer monitor, not speakers, yes, but computer like the actual monitor. screen of the computer. Yeah. Uh, there's another mix engineer named Jeff Ellis who's done like Frank Ocean and stuff like that. He also 
this is actually really cool. We're going to talk about this on the exclusive episodes this week. He uh, puts, how do I say this? He has two workstations that are uh, kind of like perpendicular to each other, where one of them, he does all his his technical stuff on his mouse and keyboard where he gets the mix to kind of like a, a level that's kind of ready to go. And then he turns to his right to the other setup, which is just an Avid S4 with his monitors, and there's no computer screen there. So then he does all of his volume automation and the rest of his mixing just from that, like without looking at a screen. So <clears throat> I don't think the point here is like, oh, you need to go buy a, a console so you don't have to look at a screen. But for them, what they are describing is when you're not so focused on looking at the screen, when you're not so focused on visually what's going on, you can immerse yourself more in the music. You can use your ears better and you can you can like hear better what you're doing rather than focusing on the technical clicking of your mouse and keyboard and what's going on on the screen, which like I know I, I, it's hard to do. Yeah. It's really difficult to do because so many people work in a DAW. Um, this but, is also super yeah. based on like personal experience too because as someone who has never like put in hundreds of hours or thousands of hours in front of a console, which by the way, in a typical console setting, the monitor is not on the console. It's There is a little standalone computer workstation to your right. So you literally turn 90 degrees to your right or to your left, depending on the studio. Um, and your pro tools that you're tracking into or mixing into is literally perpendicular to your sitting mix position just because you don't typically put a mouse and keyboard on the console. There's not enough space. Right, so it's it's partially just pra- practical. Yeah, for the like console workflow, it's not actually meant. It's not acoustically better. It's just practical. So um, there are engineers out there who admit that one side, one ear is slightly worse than the other because they've they spent most of their time mixing with uh, while listening to only one side of their face. You know, like <laughs> one side of their head. Um, and that is that is not necessarily better. That's just a workflow thing. Yeah. For example, I owned a Mackie Huey, like a Huey fa- flying fader, mechanical, like motorized fader console type thing for digital fader adjustments. Like, so I can move the fader and it'll move it in the DAW. Um, I had it for two, three years. And I, and I liked it. I thought it was nice. Uh, but as someone that didn't really grow up using consoles... Uh, I got rid of it because one, I didn't need it. And honestly, I think I'm faster with the mouse and keyboard. Like I've spent as a gen, what am I? Gen Y barely. I'm barely a millennial. I'm closer to Gen Z than I am a millennial, but um, I'm barely a millennial. And I grew up playing first person shooters on a mouse and keyboard. Like I've spent hundreds of hours, (laughs) not hundreds, but dozens of hours literally practicing my point and click for the purpose of a video game so I can get better at Call of Duty or whatever the hell it is that I'm playing for Fortnite or whatever, right? If I can do that, then I'm pretty positive that I will do better and work better in a Pro Tools with a mouse and keyboard than I am with a fader just because that's what I'm used to. It's not it's not superior, it's just different. True. So with Jeff Ellis, who is by the way a fantastic mixer, great person. Um Jeff uh does that I didn't know he did that. That's cool, that's fantastic. Um that's probably based on him growing up tracking in studios with consoles. 
We're going to take a quick break to let you know that this episode has been brought to you by Tegler Audio based out of Berlin. Tegler makes fantastic analog pieces of equipment. Everything from compressors, both tube, VCA as well, from reverbs to recording channel strips to tube summing mixers and to my favorite piece that I personally own and have and use is the Schwarcraft machine, which is digitally controlled compression, 11 different types of compressor. I mean, this thing is built to the brim with tubes and transformers it's fantastic they have digitally controlled analog gear which i'm a huge huge fan of they've got two different pieces of that they've got 500 series gear so whether you're a tracking engineer a mixing engineer or a mastering engineer you need to check out this high quality company tegler and guess what their prices they're not they're not crazy they're mid-range prices for high-end equipment they're like a fantastic company. We love them so much. And if you want 10% off any of their gear, you can go to their website directly or from their shop directly, or I'll link it in mixingmusicpodcast.com slash Tegler, T-E-G-E-L-E-R, and use the code MMPOD to get 10% off your next order. Now back to the show. So that's another thing as well. I know, for example, Jason Joshua had two setups at one point where the to the his perpendicular setup was for himself at times, but it was also the computer setup that he used for his, um, his assistant, which now has a separate, he has a separate room for his assistant. Um, so there's, it's, it's all over the board. The point is, so let's say, uh, let's, let's make a proper point out of this. I've heard some engineers say, put your, like, um, Jesse Ernster, who's been on the show a couple times, a few times, puts his studio his computer monitor on the floor because yeah because of the really you do that yeah that's why my camera looks up at me yeah it's on a little stand on the floor oh crazy yeah so it's like to avoid reflections he kind of angles it up and away from the face um and make sure that there's less reflections cool uh i don't know if that helps or not does it help in you yeah i mean that's why my masters are way better than yours so <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm just kidding. No, but can you actually no. hear a difference? A big difference? Uh, no. I'll be honest. The only time I heard a difference is when I took this like thin acoustic panel. It's like a maybe it's not like a full what are the size of normal acoustic panels? Like two feet across? I think it's like one foot across, and I put it right behind my monitor up on the wall in between my speakers. And at that point, I don't know what happened, but it did something weird with like the stereo field. So I was like, okay, I'm not putting that there anymore. So I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe it's because it was so thin. Maybe it's where it was. I don't know. But like I I moved. I have an acoustic panel right in between my monitors on the back wall. Yeah, it was, it was really weird. I don't know Mm -hmm. what happened, but like when I, I do feel like in my other studio before I moved to Texas, I do feel that it did make a difference to move it down out of the way in between the speakers. I do feel that the, it did clean up the stereo image. Cool. Well, you heard it here. So I guess that sometimes that's worth trying. I think that's one point to make. I yeah. also think that um, listening and mixing from a perpendicular angle from your speakers is is not a superior process, but it's what people are used to. So I want, I want the point here to be made. Uh, I want the point to be made to be about doing what you're used to. When you put in the time and the experience – and the effort into doing mixes consistently, you're going to put yourself into patterns that work for you. I've heard um, 
on Sonic Scoop, he just came out with an episode. I think his name is Justin. He just came out with an episode that talks about the value of setting up systems and having um, having habits. Oh, I forgot the exact wording that he used. I think it was something like systems, where in order to be creative, people will be like, hey, it's best not to have set systems or habits or set ways to do things. But it's the opposite. When you offload most of the mental work by getting into specific habits, by creating workflows, then what happens is that you open up the space and your mind to actually spend more time being creative and less time thinking about things that that stop you from being creative. So do what you're used to, be comfortable with it, even if it is something different from other people. So if you really like your avid, you know, S4, S6 or whatever the hell it's called, even though I just said I don't like it, then you should keep using it. If I said that I don't like a specific plugin or I don't like this technique, but you purposefully have decided that you do like it and have found great uses for it, you should continue to use that technique or those plugins. I think that's the point here is that everybody is different and that's why using your ears is important because your ears are different from my ears. True. Okay, that's the point. I think that's the point we're going to go with on this one. Yeah, that that was kind of what I was getting at is like just, you know, it's kind of the focus on the audio side, like the aural side of mixing rather than staring at a screen. That was kind of oh I yeah. I, I mean, we did an entire episode where Jesse talks about how he uses windows in his like the like if he, he's like something about like if you hit escape and pull up like the system menu or something like that, you can cover compressors, the view meters on compressors. So he'll use like Apple windows, like different menu windows that don't disappear or something like that. And oh, the force quit. If you open up the force quit application window, it's like this tiny little box that opens up. Um, it won't go away, even if you click on a different application. So he'll like cover view meters with that, mm. and then he'll just like compress to taste and not look at the view meter. I do think that even professionals will kind of get lost in in habits sometimes, and and um, at the same end, the opposite end of what I just talked about, will kind of get lost in habits, or kind of will be less intentional, or they'll stop using their ears. Um, so that's another thing to be careful too. Like it is, it, this is a high focus art. Yep. What we do is a high focus art. And I'm going to be honest and say most people cannot be creative in the high level of focus that it takes to be a mixer. I'd probably agree with that. And I think that a lot of that comes back to, like you were saying, having habits and systems and being organized, which I've got three more for us. And number five, I just wrote this down because you said it. There is not enough YouTube content, at least from what I've seen, that talks about business practices for mixers or for mastering engineers. Oh shit! Here we go. So, this is so important. I'm gonna I'm gonna get stoked about this. Like this is something that I think uh, you know. Obviously, you already listen to this podcast, so you probably hear a lot about it from DK uh, and the crew. But like, it's something that I think is well worth your while to go out of your way to get out of your studio and go meet with other real engineers in person to ask, like, don't watch YouTube, ask other real engineers about their systems, their practices, how they do things, how they have things set up. Um, I talk about it all the time on the exclusive episodes, but I went to the Hit Lab in Nashville, talked to Nathan Dantzler, the mastering engineer, and, like, they have their whole system down to a science. Their calendar is perfectly set up. When things come in, it goes to his assistant's laptop. His assistant prepares everything. That laptop transfer, they have like a huge file sharing system. So it just immediately gets transferred to Nathan. So he can walk in the studio, sit down, start mastering. Like 
having these kinds of things set up, whether it's a, a CRM, customer relationship management software, or whether it's something like Trello, where it's project management, or even just the calendar Notion. on your iPhone. Like, There's so many different apps out there that you can, yeah, Notion as well. Dropbox. Just, it's called Notion? There's one called Notion where it's pretty customizable. Oh. You can you can customize it to do whatever you want. <laughs> I thought you said no shit. <laughs> oh yeah, well For also like... no shit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like, I think here's what I think. Okay, I think a lot of mix engineers and mastering engineers and a lot of you that listen to this podcast, you're probably better at mixing than you think. Uh, maybe not. Maybe some people still need a lot of practice. But I think something that really separates professionals from amateurs is, and I think DK and I have talked about this before on the exclusive episodes, is the ability to organize yourself and the ability to be organized and be a professional outside of the studio. Um, I think that's really what helps people make, a, make, create, and sustain a business rather than just a hobby that they're doing. Because like, think about how many mix engineers out there that are really good but they just like, ah, this sounds so mean, but they just, they're not nice. Be they're mean. just not fun to talk to. They just suck to be around, you know? And it's like, and they, they kind of like suck at their organization. Like, I don't know if, you know, since they I don't reply it, to emails, they don't reply to emails. They don't follow up on texts. They're late on their deadlines. They over promise and under and blame it all on anxiety. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like, oh, my, I, ad my identity is a disability. Yeah. Like, so sounds like you're a piece of shit, honestly. <laughs> So it's like if, it, if your identity is that I am ADHD and thus I am unable to accomplish tasks and you are a piece of shit, that's what you are. Not, is, not a, yeah, that's literally coming from a very personal experience a little earlier today. Yeah, dude. <laughs> no, but just, there's not a lot of videos about business practices for studios. So listen to the podcast, listen to DK. He's built a very successful business. Go out with other engineers in your community that you think are doing well. Hold professionals. On, hold on, hold on, hold on. I haven't built a successful business. No. I have built multiple half a ah. dozen successful businesses yes a business empire one might say that's like when david goggins says the host is like dude when you run you run for hours and david goggins looks at him he's like days <laughs> not hours days yeah yeah half a dozen successful businesses that are currently have employees and things like that that i pay taxes for it's some bullshit though but uh, sure. we won't get into it but yeah for real I feel like, and this is this is actually something that I'm really proud of because I feel like my success as a mix engineer is comes honestly mostly from my ability to run a business. So other mix engineers that are of my level or or above um, typically come from a mix engineer background. For example, they worked at a studio. They have managers. They've they've assisted for somebody else. And by the time that they're able to get off on their own, they've learned how to adopt the systems or still f have a manager from the time that they were working at another studio so that they can continue working on their art. I've been so good at automating, creating, and these systems and these level, these businesses that mixing was secondary and my customer service and approach to actually talking to customers and, and finding them is so much better than my ability to, well, alongside my ability to mix that my success has come honestly and this is something that actually I was really self-conscious about for a while like it really bummed me out that I never worked at a big studio or that I never assisted under a huge other than like with my time with Leslie Brathway like that I've never really assisted for a huge engineer I was really insecure about that but I can tell you like that's one of my pride points right now like I've been able to create um, a fairly dominating mix engineer career 
with with no hand holding and I honestly think it came from my ability to run a business. And it's a bunch of small practical things. Again, the biggest tip from this is read books. Read books. Okay, a lot of businesses honestly um it's a lot of like uh what do you call it? Um impulse control, not like being good with your finances and not getting into debt. Being careful how you spend money, right? That those are alongside each other. Like doing small things for no, like what SEO is and why you want to build a website, how you want to build a website. Uh, what, like getting on Google listings and how to rank your Google listing, building content. You dumb fucks that don't know why they're not getting clients and getting seen in front of people. It's because you're not making content, right? Not creating a brand, especially in your 30s, like, or sorry, in your 20s. Like the 20s is a time to fuck around and find out and build a brand. Like True. that's when you, like, like do a bunch of like Gary V talks a lot about this in your twenties is when you build a brand, you do a lot of different things and you slowly become known as the guy that plays bass upside down with his left hand and puts a sock on it. And your name is uh, mono neon or whatever the hell that guy's name is. Cause he plays a right-handed bass left-handed uh, and uh, he has a sock on his headstock and he just wears neon clothes. <laughs> like that's your brand. Yep. You got to figure that out. You maybe you're known as the guy that creates loops with, chirp warbles like warbles and chirps from birds because you sample birds and you 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 like bird viewing or whatever i don't know whatever your thing is your entire 20s that entire decade is to is to find out what you like to do and build a brand around it and and here's the point again specifically about the brand whether you like it or not you're building a brand so might as well do it on purpose because you don't want your brand to be known as the guy that could have done it all but he's just a lazy fuck and that's what a lot of people are honestly is you're the guy or the girl that could have had it could have gone get it your mom believed in you your dog believed in you your 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 siblings believed in you your cousins believed in you your clients believed in you and yet you kept fucking around and kept spending your money drinking alcohol spending $300 a night and and you know what you cannot do that if you're trying to build a business especially in a business in a, in a sector that is as small as music as much as there's abundant opportunity in audio and in music it's it's not tech okay it's not <laughs> it's literally it's not tech it, it, the opportunities and the jobs are not as existent you have to figure it out and and I and I spoke with last week and I try to keep this a little secret. I'm keeping it on the download, but it's all right. Um, I I had <laughs> interviews with two different managers last week, and one of them I asked like, what when is a point that you want to actually get management? When they someone else negotiates pay on your behalf, collects payments on your behalf, and invoices the labels and the clients. Um, uh, sends files or whatever it is, does all the in-between work so all you can do is focus. Like, what is the average price point that it's worth this manager taking a percentage and that's worth it for the manager and that's worth it for the client? When is when is it worth hiring a manager? And he said, on average, it's really only worth it if you make eighty to $120,000 from mixing alone a year. Mm. That means... That you have to build yourself a system. You have to do well enough on your own to be making eighty to $120,000 a year just from mixing for a manager to even bat an eye to you. I'm going to enter silence for a moment because I'm going to let that sink in. I think this also has a lot to do with artists. Artists that are like, why won't a label pick me up? Why won't people invest in my music? Bitch, you, you've made 12, $12 last year. 
And you posted two videos and you have a thousand followers on TikTok. It's not worth it for any investor, manager, company to invest in you. Put it into perspective. Reshape reality. You have to be good at business and you have to be good enough to be able to maintain that level of income or that level of notoriety before you can even offload it. Learn how to do the shit that you need to do to and and this and the cool thing is the most hopeful part about all of this is that all of this is publicly open available information not just from this podcast but from books from people around you mentors focus groups you can create a fucking focus group if you want like this information is open it's just a matter of you going and getting it true okay i think i've called the audience put bitches enough now i think we should time to move on to the i'm, I'm like really hyper passionate about yeah, this because yeah. it is it is it is lit, okay um it pisses me off it pisses me off and it, it genuinely i've spent i've shed way too many tears way too many tears watching friends who have more potential than i do quit leave or uh or um a pivot into a different career because they couldn't handle the music industry. Mm. You know how, how much that deeply saddens me? These people that have, that have the potential, what I believe have the potential to do better than myself. And they just up and quit. Even worse, they oftentimes blame it on something as, as trivial as their, their inability to find clients when that means that they just suck at finding clients. Did you go out networking? No. Did you go to that dinner that uh, that's that I invited you to? No. Did you go to that show and talk to the artists? No. Did you go to the library and get some books for free to read? No. Did you make I've, content? I've, did you make content? Absolutely not, because I don't like showing my face. Well, you can make you can write blogs. You can do anything. You, there's so many pieces of content that you can make without showing your face. It's it genuinely, it genuinely saddens me. It saddens me. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this is because I am, I mean, I am genuinely tired and sad of seeing my friends. And it's not just, and it's not just friends, oftentimes clients too, these artists that I really genuinely believe in, do not believe in themselves as much as I believe in them. It's so sad. It's pathetic. And I want them to continue and I want them to learn. And this part of the reason why I started this podcast is because I genuinely believe that there is enough work out there. There is enough um, money going around in the music industry. There's enough opportunity out here. You just have to go and get it. Did you think when you decided to commit to music, did you think that it was going to be easy? Is that why you signed up? Because you, you knew that this was going to be an easy thing for you? Well, let me give you some perspective right now and help you realize, reshape reality here for you. This is the hard part. This, finding clients, the initial five to 10 years of your career, this is the hard part that you signed up for. It's difficult for everyone. It's not fun listening to podcasts, being berated and called a bitch a dozen times by <laughs> some small little brown Asian kid on the internet. Some small Japanese man. Yeah, yeah, dude. <laughs> It's, it's not fun sitting down and reading books. It's not fun 
dropping your ego and your arrogance to actually learn from someone that has done something greater than you can you have done currently, even though they seem a little bit dumber than you. It's not fun recognizing your place in the world and learning from other people. It's not fun taking the time to make a Google Maps listing and adjusting it. It's not fun building a website. It's not fun making content all the time. It's not fun. Sometimes it can be, and you can make these things fun, right? But this, this right here, getting out of debt, paying your taxes, tracking your finances even, this is the hard part that most people won't do and the reason why someone like me is successful to a bare minimum degree. Why I'm able to become a sole income household in Los Angeles, California, 100% income made from mixing. That is a success. Not the, the money number thing doesn't count. Like it doesn't matter whether I'm making this much money or that much money. It doesn't matter. The point is, I am 100% solely in control of my own life. And you can too. I'm literally probably dumber than you. I've just done more and sacrificed more. I've, I've controlled my impulses. Don't be better. Be better. It's, it's within your control. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm done ranting. Go ahead. Cool. The, uh, the last thing I'll say on that before we move to the next two is I heard an engineer one time, I don't remember who it was, but they said they see mixing or mastering as their reward or the fun part after doing all the other stuff that they don't like. Because that's what we really love, right, is mixing and mastering. It's not always going out and networking and finding clients and making content and stuff like that. But you do all that stuff so that you can do what you love, which is the mixing and mastering part of things. So that's the last thing I'll say is that's that can I be kind that. of another I way to, to look at it. Like mixing and mastering is your reward for doing all the hard, crappy work you didn't want to do. I um, love that. Okay, number six. Like I said, two more, six and seven. Number six, actually, I guess it's f uh, five and six because I didn't read one of the others. Uh, best, <laughs> that doesn't matter. I don't know why I'm saying that. We'll say five but, for the, the clickability of five versus yes. six. Uh, best settings, okay? There are so many videos that say, here's the best settings for this. Here's the best settings for that. There are no best settings because you can't just copy the settings that somebody did on another mix to your own, which is why sometimes we like to kind of take a dump on presets because who knows what source they were setting that preset on. You know what I mean? Like, and that's not to say the presets aren't good. Sometimes they are. You can literally use a preset or you can use a preset as a starting point. But you cannot watch somebody do a mixing video about hip hop and they're like, here's the best settings for hip hop kick drum. And then you are working on a metal record where the kick drum sound is completely different and then applying their compression and EQ settings to your metal kick drum because they're the quote best settings. Like the best settings for your song are what works for your song and your genre and what your ears think sound the best. You they're Please do not copy someone's best settings. And there are so many videos on YouTube that talk about that. Now, I do think it's important to mention that their settings are their settings because um, for that worked for that one song obviously won't work for another song, right? Even yes. within the same album um, and the same engineer. 
But it is important to study people's settings in the sense that why did they compress that much? Why did they put a gate on there? Why yes. did they saturate? And try to figure out the real reason why it changed the sound and, and made it better to what they wanted. Maybe it was because the saturation edged off a little bit of the top end. So now you have a little bit of a darker, more punchy. It brought up that 120 hertz of the kick drum a little bit more. You know, uh, what, what about it? did they like about it and copy that mindset rather than the settings. The settings are arbitrary. doesn't yes. matter. doesn't matter at all, but they did put the saturation there and the gate and the compressor there and the EQ there on purpose. Mm -hmm. Why did they do those things? So that's the first thing to think about. Um, but yes, this, this, uh, happens all the time. I think it's, uh, I think it's, it's good. People are buying presets, buying the Chris Brown vocal chain and using it. Uh, when you have no experience and you just need to get something done, I think it's okay. But if you're doing that as a professional, if you're charging someone to mix your song and you, you're using purchased Vocal Brown presets, um, I'm I'm going to officially tell you that you should probably stop that. Probably should stop that. Um, and actually, actually learn how to mix like that. That it doesn't sound good, and it's very obvious. It's worse than AI. Might as well just send it to AI, <laughs> who will mix it for you. Um, so. I don't know. There's not much to be said about that. Yep. Presets are really useful as far as like workflow. Like I'll make like uh, when I have a plugin and I like a specific setting, I'll do like a DK start where every time I pull up the plugin and I, and I set that start as a default state. So when I pull up the plugin, all I have to do is turn one or two knobs or press a button or two instead of having to do six or seven knobs, whatever. Um, and kind of adjusting from there. So that's a great thing. Like creating starting points is great, but yep. it's never a set and forget type thing. Yep. I agree. And so. I also know the plugins well enough where if I pull up this specific compressor, I know how it's, I can predict how it's going to change the sound of this snare or this kick drum or whatever, uh, enough to know to even consider putting it on in the first place. Like if I wanted a snappier snare drum, whatever snappier means to me in that instant, I will pull up this compressor, this, this saturator, whatever. If I want transient designer, maybe, I don't know. Um, and if I wanted a more fat round snare drum, then I will pull up this plugin because I know I can get this sound out of it really fast. So. True. Presets are a great jumping off point. It's a great way to start, but just please don't copy someone else's settings <laughs> from a YouTube video. I've had people um, on my live stream like pause the video, zoom in, take a screenshot, and like literally copy my vocal settings. And it's like you're missing the point. Yeah, you're missing the entire point. Well, that and that reminds me. I watch a lot of these mix with the masters like interviews where people can ask questions to the professional, and then the the professional responds. And it's always questions about like, what's your go to vocal chain? What's your go to mix buzz? What's your go to this? Go to that? And the thing is like. Those that's, are, the, that's that's a good question, but well, it's it's a good question, but it's asked incorrectly. Yeah, well, I think like I don't have a problem with people wanting to know what tools they're using, but when they go, "What's your go-to?" and someone says, "Oh, I do EQ into compression, into EQ into compression, into a limiter, into a multi-brand," and and then somebody just like does that exact same process, like just follows those plugins in a row and then just slaps it on theirs. And they're like, "Well, why doesn't mine sound like Michael Brower's mix now or something like that?" You know, that's that's where. I think the problem comes in with people trying to copy like a best setting or just copy like a quote go to chain or things like that. 
Oh, for sure. I think I think the best question is the question that comes right after that. So what is so asking someone that you really like the sound of, like you really like this person's drums, and you say, What is your typical drum bus? Uh, your drum bus chain. And then the most in question most important question after that is why do you like that chain? Yep. Can you break down why you did the compressor and why you did a saturate why you did these things? Like, what are you hearing? That is the most important question. It's never the chain itself. Because uh, I can tell you right now, I've heard mixers um, and producers use the same exact settings as someone like me or, or, or better than me, right? And they can't get it to sound good. Hmm. <laughs> Even with the same exact chain, it still sounds like shit. Um, <laughs> because it's not about the chain, it's about the understanding. And, and and we keep changing who quoted this. I'm pretty sure Home Studio Heroes Nautic like said that it came from Andrew Sheps when I originally said it came from CLA. <laughs> so I don't know who it is anymore. But I'm pretty sure someone, some old mixer who's who's very notorious said, I can t- I can teach you, I can show you what a good snare drum sounds like. I can't teach you how, hmm, what, what was the quote? I'm going to butcher it actually. I can show you what a good snare sounds I can show you how I mix a good snare. I can't teach you what a good snare sounds like. Mm. I think that's what it is. So it's like the point is I can show you what I did, but if you had to start from scratch, you have to know what the end result already is in order to get there. But if you don't know what you want out of that snare drum, then there's no point even starting it. And I think that's the difference between like a seasoned mixer. We've talked about this a lot about in the past. Like seasoned mixer will already know the direction they want to take a mix before they even start versus someone that um, a, a, a novice mixer will probably try to figure out where they can take the mix. And that's the wrong mindset. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, moving on to the last one. Uh, this and this is uh, the others have been like kind of like negative which sorry there's just a lot there's just a lot of the same youtube content that i have just sifted through and it's like all the same stuff but this one is really positive always high pass your low end and mono your bass <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> oh it's a vocal i'm always going to roll off up to 100 hertz oh. uh anyway so the last one is some of the best videos that you can actually learn from are videos about people's mistakes that they've made. Ooh. So there's a lot of videos that are called like uh, 10 mixing mistakes I made when I was young or uh, mastering mistakes to avoid or things like that. Usually the videos that talk about mistakes that people have made, maybe not necessarily the ones that are like things to avoid because those always end up inevitably coming back to like tips that everybody knows. But if you can find videos where people share their personal experiences about mistakes they've made, sometimes those will give you much better information and will give you, uh, what am I trying to say? Rather than just like information, it gives you a story behind it. It gives you a feeling behind it. They tell you what they were doing, all this stuff. So it puts things in a lot better context, I feel like. And it just helps you understand the principle and it helps you understand uh, really important things to avoid as well as sometimes how mistakes can actually become really cool stuff in the music. There was actually an episode we did on the exclusive episodes, and I can't remember who the mix engineer was, <clears throat> but I'm pretty sure they were doing like Led Zeppelin or something. And, uh, Eddie Kramer? Oh, maybe it was him. Yeah. 
Eddie and, Kramer? Yeah, I think it was Eddie Kramer. That sounds right. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Eddie Kramer made a mistake in a Led Zeppelin record, and it ended up sounding really cool. And so then he, like, shared this story, and then at the end he's like, keep the damn mistake in. Um, you know, I think he says something uh-huh. like, you need to do a better <clears throat> English accent. Keep the damn mistaken. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, uh, those videos I found often have some of the best content, some of the best stories, some of the best learning that you can gain from them. Um, it's just videos about people's mixing mistakes or mastering mistakes that they've made, especially big time professionals. So you know that you're not alone in making mistakes and learning and growing. Dude, I have a funny story about a mistake that I made that ended up going really well. And I, the reason why I'm thinking about this is because the point, to your point, you're going to also notice, going back to point number four or five or whatever it was about business, most of the mistakes that people share are about their business. It's about mm. how they misbounce something and they didn't ch- double check it. And then all of a sudden, um, their mix is, uh, they're going out to the A&R and they didn't check that there's a big pop and click at the end of it or whatever, right? True. So that's the first mistake. Number two, like, so this is usually how it is, is business, um, which is more important. I think most people do not have the attention to detail to submit the right files, name them correctly, build systems in that sense. So you're going to notice a lot of that. And then if they are mistakes that they put in the recording and the mixing process, like what Emmy Kramer talked about, it's the reason why that record is so cool. So it's also uh, the second lesson from this is that most of the time in a creative career, mistakes are so welcomed. Um, It's the mistakes in the business that you can't afford. Yep. That are the most important. And those are incredibly important to study. So I actually want to tell you a story. I made a mistake the other day. I just noticed this. And this goes out to my buddy, Andrew Damien, who I mixed this, uh, three songs for, an EP for last year. He asked for instrumentals for the three songs that I mixed. And I pulled them back up. And two of the songs looked normal, sounded normal. This third song was significantly louder. And it hits so hard. I was like, dang, what did I do here? I pull up the session. By the way, this is from a year back. I pull up the session. I guess he lost the stems or whatever that we had done initially. I don't remember exactly what was going on. I pulled the session and I had accidentally at some point duplicated my mix bus without inserts. So going into the master fader was two mix bus oxes, one with my plugins on it, like my mix bus processing, the other without it. It was on accident. I don't do that ever. It must have been on accident. And I was clipping about five to six dBs into the master fader. And and I was like, no way this is what was printed. No way this is the version that he accepted and put on Spotify. I check Spotify. It is that recording. It is. Oh, no. I check FilePass, my, you know, my, uh, my file transfer service that I use and recommend. Um, it is that file. It is that file. <laughs> I, I mute that duplicated mix bus. It does not sound half as good. There is no limiter. It's straight clipping five to six dBs into the master bus. And that's what we all thought hit the hardest. <laughs> that's awesome. Now that is a mistake. That is exciting. <laughs> that's an exciting mistake. Sure. And it, yeah. I, like, I took it off. I'm like, oh, the magic is gone because it hits so fucking hard, dude. Because, like, I mean, it's clipping, so the low end is gone, and it's just like mid range blaring into your face, especially during the loud sections in the chorus. And again, there's no mix bus compression or anything going on on the duplicated bus because there's no inserts on that I duplicated. So it's literally, mm, 
<laughs> it was it was the most beautiful. And I'm sitting here and I called Matt who Matt Villanueva who uh, recorded and produced the session. I called him over. He brought he came over for something unrelated and I showed him the session. He's like, damn, that hits hard. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Andrew then text I didn't tell Andrew. Andrew then texts me after I sent the files. He's like, dude, I'm just remembering how great your mixes are. And I'm like, hell yeah, he has no <laughs> idea. <laughs> oh, oh, that's man. amazing. That's awesome. So yeah, that's that's a that's a good story. Leslie talked about this once. It's like people are like, dude, your your buses are clipping. Something's clipping. Like when he was like mixing something down, it's like, oh, your drum bus or your eight away bus is missing or whatever. Mix uh, is is redlining, and and they're like, do you want to turn it down? He's like, can you hear it? And everybody in the audience is like, no, not necessarily. He's like, all right then. And then he like ignored it. <laughs> He's like, "Who cares?" <laughs> and I, I think that kind of proved it to the point. Like, it must, it like obviously it was distorting, but it must have added to it because yeah. I was listening to it, and it sounded dope. Like, I mean, it was kind of like a more of like a punk pop kind of thing. Yeah, it sounded fucking fire. So I think from now on, I'm just and it was like minus four LUFS. It was just like so just, loud. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, and it that's was crazy. it was fantastic. I mean, that's a good story of a mistake, but that always it turned for the better. It was yeah. great. That could have also really turned out for the worse. It could have, but it didn't. So, but it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> the one mistake that I made is I I mastered an an al- EP an album when I was in Japan and I didn't bring my speakers and I just had my headphones headphones that I have not mastered or mixed anything previously, Oof. and I was using Studio One. I was Oof. trying to switch out of Pro Tools. Not only did I master the songs. In uh, in a set of headphones that are fantastic, greatly reviewed, but just not something that I've ever used while mixing. Not only did I mix in headphones, something that I'm not comfortable mixing in, and then on top of that, I was using a new DAW that I didn't know exactly how it worked. I bounced everything that was like clipping because I put the inserts on the wrong. I was like, there, Studio One has this like post master fader, pre master fader, something like that. I put it in the wrong thing. User error, my fault. I didn't check. Everything was clipping. Uh, the client who had previously hired me for mastering and loved my work came back. Um, and unfortunately after that, like I did like a couple revisions more after that, but they're like, after the first, the first one was apparently so bad that they just couldn't trust me on the second and third revision. They're just like, at the end, they're like, ah, oh, sorry. Like there's nothing we can do here. Yikes. And, uh, this, this is, I can't, I, I honestly can't trust you anymore. So that's, that's a mistake that I made, but that's again, more, Less technical, like less about an EQ thing or anything like that. It's more about I didn't use the tools that I know. So is that an independent artist? Yeah, it was. And they were just like, "Oh, I'm not going to come back to you anymore." Yeah. Huh. I will even go as far as say they unfollowed me on Instagram and everything. Kind of cringe, to be honest. That's weird. No, but it's my fault. I (laughs) fucked up. I fucked up. (laughs) Seems extreme. (laughs) But whatever. No, I mean, I mean, like, yeah, I don't know. Is it? I have no idea. I, I messed up the product. It's my job to provide, and I didn't provide the right product. So either way, I feel like that's more yeah. of like a business mistake I made. I should have said, no, can you wait two weeks before I gotten home? Mm, yeah. I should have at least rented another studio that I had access to in Japan. Maybe. Um, I should have at least used Pro Tools and quit being so cheap. And try to switch over to Studio One, and I lost like six hundred. Like the reason why Pro Tools is worth it now is because I lost six hundred dollars because uh, off of that. I, it was I probably was a full album because I lost a significant chunk of money. Go to buy the perpetual license for Pro Tools. Yeah, for real, I lost <laughs> a cost of a perpetual license for Pro Tools from making a mistake because I used a DAW that I didn't know how to use. It's Damn. insane. So, um, that's a business mistake, right? Anyway, hmm. is that it? Is that the last point? 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about how so, that's so weird to me that they loved your first one and then the second one didn't go well. So they're just like, yeah, we're not coming back to you. That seems kind of weird. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, that's the last point. Uh, so those are, I guess it was like no, six. Worry, I got my money. I got my but, money. I didn't refund them. <laughs> I, well, I, uh, I, I, did, I think I did like a partial refund. Oh, okay. Because the thing is like when you put in the work – it was my mistake, but when you put in the work, it's like, can yeah. you refund me the amount of time I put into this work? No? Okay, then. <laughs> it's just so interesting. I've, yeah, I don't know. Huh. Weird. Maybe we could talk about it later. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, think that, I think she came into it not really trusting me for some reason. Oh. Hmm. I, don't, I don't know. I think it was more like I didn't communicate properly. It's probably a communication error more than anything else. Well, whoever the artist is, if you're listening to this, you done messed up. No, she's definitely not listening. <laughs> Just kidding. No, that's okay. No, no, no but I it's guess. something that I learned from too. Like there's yeah. lots of lessons yep. that I learned from. I, I deserved it. Like I, did, I didn't say that she messed up. I'm saying that I messed up. I actually- uh, I could have avoided that. Fun fact, uh, the first masters I ever did paid were clipping when I sent them to the client. No, for real. Yep. And then they sent it back and they said, I think I'm hearing distortion at this part. And I was like- at first, I was like, no way. And then I listened to it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess there is. So then I fixed it, and they were happy. So it worked out. But there you go. a good learning experience from a mistake. There's one client that has me master their stuff, and it comes in clipping. So it's just like, <laughs> that. this is the vibe, yeah. I guess. Well, the problem with that is it was like a cinematic score. So oh, and it's like plays with a video. So it's like it can't be. Super clean violin that all of a sudden gets extra screechy or yeah. something like that. Well, the weird thing, it was just like these low, like, weird like synth swells that were like whoa and like so when it would get really loud it was like and then it was like just farts yeah it's like farting but anyway i love that farting distortion dude i live for those farts (laughs) until my son farts next to me and he laughs what so my my wife was putting my son my four-year-old son to bed Mm -hmm. and he farted and then kayako my wife kayako she's like kaname did you fart was she pushta in japanese right and he's like, no, mommy, I think you farted. <laughs> and it's just the two of them. <laughs> nice. 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 Good yeah. move. I, I high-fived him when I heard that story. Nice. All right. <clears throat> anyway. Yeah. Well, that wraps I, it up for this episode, right? Yeah. I mean, that's uh, there's probably a lot more. Uh, this was kind of a list I threw together pretty quickly. But that those are some of the biggest things I've learned from watching hundreds of hours of mixing and mastering content on YouTube. And just remember, number one, there's no secret sauce. It's consistent hard work over a long period of time will yield better mixes and masters. Amen. I don't think I need to add anything to that. I can because I'm DK. Maybe <laughs> <because> DK. <laughs> no, I was thinking more like I'm annoying and I can always pick oh. back. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, anyway, yeah, that's it. So thank you so much for listening. Once again, if you like Brayden, which you're stupid if you don't, uh, Brayden is <laughs> awesome. You are objectively a bad person if you don't like Brayden. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I came in, I came in pretty aggressive hey, let, with this episode, honestly. Let me, let so. me. Oh, you're, you're, they're the one that was aggressive. Okay, sure. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, but if you like this sort of content, and we die. We Brayden and I are really close friends, and you can tell the chemistry is super there on the exclusive content. Go check out the exclusive archives, which come out Mondays, um, totally free. And you can kind of there. The episodes are a year old, and the exclusive yep. episodes come out every Monday or sorry Wednesday and Thursday at six a.m. Eastern time. Um, 
and they're they're a secret link. And you can get that link by going to mixingmusicpodcast.com slash exclusive to get access to exclusive episodes. Once again, those exclusive episodes are uh, $4 a month or $40 a year. That's less than a cup of coffee a month for fantastic. I think I honestly think it's like real game that can, it's not clickbaity game. It's real game to put you into a better position. And once again, whether you buy a book, you should probably buy a book as well. Yeah. But I mean, $4 a month compared to buying a book, <laughs> an Audible subscription versus this. Um, it's literally, it's, it's debatable, I think, because I think our game is really good. It's literally 50 cents an episode now that I think about it, because there's eight Shit. episodes a month. That's so. fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Well, on that note, my son just came in. I assume. Oh, here it is. Here he is. Kill, you want to say Hello. If you're watching, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see my beautiful child. Hello. <laughs> this is my homie with the extra chromie. That that joke is now being used in a movie, so I can't say that anymore. So if I'm Donkey Kong, then this is my Downey Kong. He's mm. my buddy. He's my, uh, as the father of, um, as a father of a disabled child, I'm allowed to have a favorite. <laughs> this is him. This is him. This is him. Anyway, uh, love y'all so much. Thank you so much for listening. Happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. Kill, say bye-bye.